listeners, and welcome to PPRO Payments Radio, a podcast brought to you by PPRO. PPRO builds local payment infrastructure designed to help businesses gain access to new markets and new customers. PPRO powers local payments for PSPs, banks, payment gateways, and enterprises with payment platforms. PPRO takes the complexity out of uh, local payment methods. And today we are talking about all things Singapore. Um, My name is Megan Johnson. I'm your host of Payments Radio. And today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Calvin Pua, VP Global Market Development at PPRO, and Lawrence Chan, the group CEO of NETS. Um, So for our listeners who don't know who NETS are, this is a really great podcast to understand um, how important they are uh, in Singapore when it comes to all things payments. So from um, the local merchant selling um, soybean drinks all the way through to um, the Singapore, uh, the central bank in Singapore. In this podcast, we're going to touch upon all things related to the rise of QR codes in Singapore, the complexities around cross-border payments in Singapore, as well as Um, catalyst for innovation and what we can expect in five years time. So thank you for joining us and um, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. So yeah, today I am joined with um, two two folks with a vast amount of experience when it comes to all things payments um, in broader Southeast Asia and specifically in Singapore. So I'd like to introduce my two guests today. We have Calvin Pua, VP Global Market Development at PPRO and Lawrence Chan, the group CEO of NETS. Welcome to the podcast, Calvin and Lawrence. Um, Lawrence, let's let's kick it off with you. Can you give us a bit of background about who you are and um, share with us the the crazy amount of of experience you have working in in payments? Hi, thank thank you for this opportunity. Thanks um, for this opportunity to speak and to share. I, I, I... I think it all comes with age. <laughs> it's experience comes with age, and I think I have I have that on my side. Um, so that I I've had the privilege of serving in this role uh, as a group CEO of Nets for the last uh, last two years, June June. So this is exactly two years. Um, prior to that, I've been very much in in regional roles. Um, I spent. About 10 years with Visa across two stints, uh, just over 10 years across two stints. Uh, the first time I joined them, they were not a listed company yet. And the second time I joined them was prior to uh, joining Nets. And of course, by that time, they were a listed company. And in, be- in between that, I, I had the privilege of uh, spending also just over 10 years at American Express. Uh, and in American Express, I also had the opportunity to to live and, and work out of Tokyo, Japan. Um, and my family had a, had the privilege of, uh, or rather my children had the privilege of being international students, which I think they, they still remember very fondly. Uh, and I also had the privilege of uh, getting to know and working with Kelvin when we were at PayPal. So I spent a few years at PayPal. Um, PayPal was significant because it really opened my eyes to, at least at that time, and now today as well, very much, um, very much an online payments company. I think anybody who has who has been through PayPal has definitely a better appreciation 
of the concept of conversion um, and driving driving more transactions um, for on for, for with online merchants, um, and it really helped me understand that uh, very critical concept, and really internalize it and and try to and try to help merchants uh, grow grow better online. Um, also, had the privilege when I was at PayPal to to be on PayPal Private Limited, which is the legal entity in Singapore, which actually on that um, the serving as a board member of PayPal Private Limited, which is um, all transactions that do not start or end in the US actually goes through the legal entity here in, in Singapore. Okay. Um, and after PayPal, went back to, as I mentioned, I went back to Visa before I, I started this role two years ago here at Nets. Okay. Wow. Okay. So Visa, Amex, PayPal, um, all, of, all of the big names. Um, and who who are Nets um, for those our listeners who may not be based in Singapore? What 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 is Nets all about? Hopefully, would someone would someone like you would be able to say, "Well, Nets, what a big name too!" In a few years' time, <laughs> uh, we, we we are very we are very much today a Singapore company. Um, I have the privilege of leading three three companies within the Nets group. So I'm the group CEO of Nets. So the three three companies I lead. Nets, as most uh, consumers in Singapore would know, um, you can use your Nets ATM card uh, or your debit card uh, at any merchant in Singapore. Um, mainly, we are very privileged that we, we are very strong in the face-to-face -face offline space where we have the lar largest share in terms of almost every merchant that takes a payment option would take Nets in, in Singapore offline. We are still growing from an online standpoint, trying to find the right products to 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 meet the, the very competitive space online. Um, we also provide uh, prepaid prepaid cards. Uh, today we have the privilege of serving in the what we call the motoring and the transit segment. So prepaid cards for motoring in Singapore, you put your prepaid card into into your car device and it's very much like a form to pay for payment of tolls and that the card really stays in there it doesn't come out for other purposes and basically one use case uh, we also have a transit card where we before pandemic and now it's picking up uh, before the pandemic it was mainly sold to tourists who came into singapore um, because this this card can not only be used in transit mass transit in singapore can also be used at our over one hundred and twenty thousand points uh, that accept nets as a as a means of payment. So that's Nets entity. We have two other two other companies within the Nets group, and that's BCS and uh, Nets Solution. BCS Banking Corporation Systems is um it's like a clearinghouse. So whenever the the sender bank and the receiver bank is different, it goes through BCS. It goes through the clearinghouse in Singapore, mainly for domestic transactions. So from from the oldest check payment to what we call gyro in Singapore um, to uh, now fast payments uh, and of course as a subset of fast is pay now where your mobile number is a proxy you can pay each other through your mobile number instead of remembering each other's bank number that those also goes through the rails of, uh, of pay now which is uh, we are the operator uh, as in BCS is the operator for that for for those payments um, and we 
also have net solutions. Net solutions, we have the privilege of uh, helping develop. We are, the we are the incumbent provider of many payment systems that our central bank here in Singapore uses and also other central banks in the region uses. So we de develop payment payment products uh, from the uh, that central banks use and the related products that banks or non-banks need to connect to the central bank. Uh, we also help provide those products. So I always say that we really have the privilege of um, managing the smallest payment uh, in Singapore. This the very so now it's a UNESCO heritage in Hawker Center. So in Hawkers, um, you can use QR payments to buy this, uh, a drink, a soybean drink. We manage the smallest payment of a soybean drink in a Hawker Center to the largest payments that we have, that we help build for our central bank in terms of um, uh, real-time gross settlement systems. Uh, so we really have that privilege. And, and this that's how we came about last year with our purpose statement of connecting communities, empowering lives. So we really see our, our, our role in Singapore to connect communities within Singapore. And also now we are also able to connect communities through cross-border payments uh, as well. Uh, so communities across Singapore and empowering lives, as I mentioned, empowering the, the smallest soybean seller yeah. to the largest uh, payment uh, receiver through, through real-time growth settlement as, as an example. Yeah. Wow. So Nets definitely has quite the remit in Singapore. And I think clearly you play a very important role in, in payments and in kind of a catalyst for, for innovation. Um, and I definitely want to touch upon cross-border payments, pay now, QR codes. Um, but first, Calvin, tell us all about uh, yourself. How do you know Lawrence? Um, and kind of talk us through a bit more about the relationship between PPRO and, and Nets. Well, okay, thanks very much for having me here. Um, and it's great to be on this uh, podcast with Lawrence. So um, I think my payment journey started about uh, 10 years ago in, in PayPal when I first joined. Um, and uh, for the, the time that I was spent in PayPal, it was a regional role pretty much covering Southeast Asia. That is the main focus. Um, and it was a very interesting journey for a couple of reasons. I think number one is that being only in Singapore, we kind of tend to get a very skewed view of payments because Singapore is one of those markets where credit card is prolific. You know, if you look at any Singaporean consumer, typically you would have probably three back three credit cards or even more. I think Lawrence will know that that's even better than I do. But a lot of people have a lot of credit cards. But when we look beyond the shores of Singapore, that was my experience, like looking into Malaysia, Indonesia, and Thailand and all of that, then you find that cards is not as commonly um, available in, in, in the consumer side. And so um, PayPal was a very interesting time because it offered an alternative to cards in a strict sense. Uh, it offered an alternative to a lot of these merchants as Lawrence talked about, the very small guys. You could have a, a PayPal account and you could start receiving payments very quickly. And, and I saw that the impact that that kind of a capability had on a lot of these small merchants, particularly small medium merchants, uh, where in the past you were almost at the mercy of the bank, the big guys, you know, whether they, they, they're going to give you a facility or not, then that's really the case. 
Um, and so through the journey in PayPal, um, you know, I had uh, the great opportunity to work with merchants, I had the opportunity to work with partners, and also the opportunity to delve more deeply into Malaysia at one stage where I was the, the uh, sort of the lead um, for the country and also for Indonesia as well, the lead for Indonesia at one stage during the, my time in PayPal. Um, so I think towards the later half, Lawrence uh, joined the company. I had the, 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 the really uh, a great time reporting uh, to, to Lawrence and he was a lot of, provided a lot of guidance for myself and the team. And that was, uh, that was a really interesting learning experience for me. I think that, that the, the way we look at payments as Lawrence has just expressed. Um, and then I think after that, it was a logical conclude, uh, uh, sort of a logical step to go into PPRO because PPRO focused almost entirely on local payment methods. And that was, I think, a gap that I saw um, very obvious when I was in PayPal. A, a lot of the, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't have credit cards. And so they really rely on local payment methods and, uh, and then being able to work more directly with them, I thought was a, a very logical next step for me. And so for the last uh, close to three years now, I've been with PPRO um, running the team um, for on a global level, basically. So I have local teams in APAC, EMEA and Latin America um, to work with these LPM partners, local payment method partners. Um, to bring them on board onto our uh, platform. I think this localization for us is super important because you, you really got to know the market. You really got to get down into, you know, that, that, uh, grassroots level almost, uh, to be really able to sort of support and understand the, the, the needs of the consumers and the merchants. So that's my journey, a lot shorter, but nonetheless, very exciting as well. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it, it, it's it's clear that the payment landscape in Southeast Asia is very complex. Um, so having a company like like PPRO there certainly helps remove some of those complexities. And I guess I think maybe if, it'd be interesting if we can talk about, um, let's start with cross-border payments. So what are, what are the trends around cross-border payments when we think about Singapore? So both inbound and, and outbound. Um, yeah, Lawrence, what are you seeing from the kind of Nets perspective? So I, I think cross-border payments on the larger scale uh, and not just defined from a Nets perspective happen even during the pandemic, right? Where buyers are able to buy from sellers who are from different geographies. And that's where I think that that kept the the airline industry <laughs> um, still 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 functioning because of cross border payments and goods needed to be shipped from country A to country B. Um, and a lot of this cross border payment that I just mentioned is very much online payments, um, where Nets has been working very hard um, is trying to, as I mentioned, develop online payments for domestic and cross-border. But I would say more relevant to us has been the face-to-face cross-border payment. So when the physical tourist, the physical business traveler arrives in the market, uh, we, we are looking for opportunities to, to have more uh, relevance in terms of payments. And especially for us in the longer tail merchants, the longer the smaller sellers, right? The sellers who are in the what we call in the heartland of Singapore, the 
the markets, uh, the market streets, and and not just the the big the big uh, department stores. So as 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 Kelvin mentioned, yes, of course, cards cards is pretty big. Cards play a big role um, with the international schemes, of course, border payments when business and tourist traffic arrive in the country. Um, and in Singapore, the role for Nets is we try to en enable as many point of sales, um, the, the physical terminal, to take Nets and also to support the international scheme so that there's only one, what we call in Singapore, unified point of sale, UPOS. And it, in that unified point of sale, is in then integrated into the cash register of the major merchants and that provides um, all the reconciliation required for the merchant. So whether it is a domestic transaction on cards or um, inbound transaction, and what we worked very hard during the during the pandemic and, and now hopefully starting the show is we, we were working with other payment providers so that our point of sales can provide more value to the merchants, right? So we, we made an announcement last year that we're working with N Financial, Alipay Plus as one example, where they have uh, buyers from not just China, but other countries who potentially would come and have started coming to Singapore and can pay. And we work with the other Chinese brands as well. And we even started working with our Southeast Asian player, uh, um, friends from Malaysia, from, uh, from Thailand, from Indonesia as well. So inbound into Singapore, trying to provide more merchants as more, as more and more of travel opens up. And of course, also outbound as our Singapore, Singapore travelers go to other countries. Uh, we have also worked with the Nets equivalent in other markets so that when a Singapore travel, uh, traveler goes overseas, when they pay in Singapore with, through a QR, uh, through their bank app, through the same bank app, they can potentially scan the QR in, the, in another market. So from a face-to-face -face offline payments, but using digital payments and mainly through the form factor of originally with plastic with cards and now um, now with, with uh, QR as a form factor, we are really seeing an increase in cross-border um, cross uh, payments through the form factor of QR as well. Calvin, any, any points to add? Uh, do, do you agree? Yeah, no, completely. I think... Um, you know, I think we've heard this many times before, but it's it's very real. The, the pandemic really showed the the, the consumers the, the benefits and the capabilities of digital payments, whether online or offline. Um, I mean, obviously, during the pandemic, many of us were stuck at home. I think my online shopping kind of went through the roof as, we, as it is with many of my, my friends and people we know as well. But I think to the point of what Lawrence was talking about, the QR form factor, I think that's taken on a whole new dimension. I mean, uh, I still remember a time back in PayPal where we were still trying very hard to educate merchants about the benefits of QR and, and how it could apply to digital payments. But just through the pandemic, you know, you see these QR codes now coming out, uh, you know, like Nets QR codes and stuff that comes out at the food stalls uh, what what Lawrence mentioned is hawker centers is essentially food stalls where you know you've got these guys selling um, local local food local local food street food all that kind of stuff, but they're all accepting um, QR payments now, which is you know such a it's it's exciting because it means that more and more people are getting on board with this digital payment. They're getting to understand it. They they kind of know how to use it. 
even the elderly that used to be very afraid of it, you know, now embrace it quite readily. Um, but I think for, for, from my perspective is what's interesting too, is it means that now more and more people are kind of open to the idea of digital payments, then online payments as well will kind of float at the same speed, you know, just as Lauren says, like more and more people are embracing digital payments. Uh, when you go on e-commerce, that's critical. And, and so that presents an opportunity as well for the merchants, um, across the world and just um last week i was in in malaysia and we had these sort of street markets where you had people just selling knickknacks and and all kinds of trinkets and things and every one of them had a qr code now and so you know as nets for example gets connected with our neighbors and their payment systems you start to see this sort of uh what he described as face-to-face but cross-border payments starts to happen, which is, you know, for me as a payments person is very exciting because then it means Asia now is starting to kind of really open up from that uh, perspective. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, actually, I was in uh, Denmark and I went to like a Christmas market and you could pay for like your rides in the, in the amusement park via mobile pay. So actually with, with your mobile phone number, and I just thought that was crazy. And I mean, I think, you know, I, I've seen over the years, definitely this opening up of, um, you know, like or, or the increase of more digital payments for smaller merchants, which I think it, it's super important, you know, because a lot of the times they were hesitant to accept cards because of the high fees and everything. So I think that's um, that's definitely good. And I think going back to kind of Nets ethos around, you know, connecting and empowering um, people's lives and everything. Do you see... Do you see the rise of the QR codes as something complementary then to cards? Or do you see, you know, in, in five, 10 years, kind of the QR um, payment? And we can also touch upon the, um, the pay now feature with the mobile phone. Do you see this as overtaking plastic? Lawrence or Kelvin? Maybe, maybe oh, let, let me share. <laughs> Maybe let me share a quick uh, quick story that happened just this weekend. So I, since the, since COVID started, I've been trying to lead a healthier life, and I've been trying to run. I try I try to run two three times on the weekdays and one long run on the weekend. And I was doing a, my weekend run, and my my daughter actually texted me to say that you were supposed to buy dinner, and then she gave me the place I was supposed to go to, but which was of, of course off the route that I was on, and I said okay, I'll still, I'll go, no no problem. Then she texted me and said, but they don't, they, they only take cash. I said, we, I can't believe they only take cash because my sales team is really good. They must be. <laughs> so I said, okay, like, I'll still go. So I really need, if I really need help, I'll, I'll, I'll call you. Right. And, to, and of course, I was very happy when I went there. I saw they take nets, of course, and take the nets QR. And I was able to pay. And I, I took a photo and I sent it to the family chat. And she said, amazing. I said, yeah, it is amazing the work that my team, that my team does. And I then also sent it to the, my office chat group and, and thank them for you know this small experience I had. Um, will, will QLs take over, take over cards? I, I mean, I, I, I think the most important thing here is consumer choice, right? Now consumer has so much more choices. And to me, what, helps with consumer choice is user experience right user experience for for merchants user experience for the consumer to me ultimately would would determine um 
which form factor becomes rele more relevant or, or, or less relevant over time. I, I don't think, it, I do not think it would completely eradicate classic form factor uh, with QR. Likewise, I personally, even though believe cash will be totally eradicated probably during my lifetime um, or my career time, I would say like <laughs> career time. And so I, I, I really think consumer choice would eventually dictate and a big factor of, consu of consumer choice would be the user experience. Of course, there are many other things like loyalty and, and other things that would add on to, to why, why a consumer or merchant will prefer one form factor against another. And, and in Singapore, as, as we were saying, I think from a QR standpoint, whether it is, um, whether it is the next QR or, or pay now, um, consumers really have even much more choice of your. I think you, if you what we call what what we call within our, our firm the B one B one is actually the basement the basement of any um, department store any any uh, any large retail right is a lot of F and B a lot of food right and you go to almost any B one any basement you would just see a proliferation of QR. Uh, from what last time you probably had to pay cash today you can pay digital payments in. Even in the smallest merchants in in the what we call the B one, and of course not only in the B one, but as I mentioned, even in the streets street food uh, that uh, on my short story that I just shared, um, more and more F and B and and even uh, general retail has now embraced uh, QR factor. Nice. So that that seems to be one of the ways in which nets is supporting um you know the the sme sector um how important uh, do you see kind of this sector specifically you know the the physical merchant but also you know there's a huge rise in marketplaces and you know individuals and small businesses offering their services or um goods online how how do you see this all all playing out that's a very interesting question i think since the pandemic there we've seen a lot of um, home-based businesses coming up you know I think in, in in some circles you would call them social commerce or whatever it is but people are finding new ways to to create value finding new ways to market their products and so I think that this um, all these new payment methods um, really help support this sort of growth. Like for example, uh, you mentioned PayNow, you know, the ability to pay with a phone mobile number as a proxy, right? Uh, you know, in the past where you had these individual sellers, uh, small businesses, you either have to get a, a some sort of a, um, like a, a card service, for example, which is very difficult uh, from a big bank, especially if you're very small, uh, or even, you know, for example, to get a Nets account set up and stuff like that so that you can start generating that QR code. Um, those, you know, they, those still belong to sort of like the small business. But if you talk about the micro business, then the ability like PayNow, for example, to, to accept payments and to make payments, I think that really sort of changed the game for these really micro uh, merchants. And so you, you start to see people now able to, to, to make improvements and changes to their livelihoods. Uh, you know, it could be sort of a side gig at the moment, or it could become pretty much mainstream in what they do and how they make a living to support their family. So I think in that regard, um, certainly digital payments, the evolution has, has, has a huge impact, I think, on, on all the consumers. 
And uh, yeah, and, and it's very exciting to be part of that. If I can add to that, I think one, one, of the, one of the sayings, I think, which is very true is payments is local, right? So, I, and I, I think with even having the privilege of working in international payment brands before, is how do we, how, how, how do international payment brands become local? Um, and I think for now working in a local payment brand is and when we want to establish cross-border payments again is how do we make sure that we are uh, being integrated as much as we can into the, the, the local ecosystem because payments is, is local. And, and what I mean by that is I think, you know, as we've seen in the, in the pandemic, if I use F&B industry again, um, food delivery is became became even much more popular even much more in demand as a result of us having to, to stay at home right um and of course we could rely on the on the major players and 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 the major players um, in, in a way were able to provide that service because they had the infrastructure they had the resources they had the people resources even to support but as as the as the pandemic dragged on what what we saw was um these food delivery companies got even more local and, and not just the international brands. There were more local players uh, trying to provide options um, because the street seller who used to sell chicken rice as, a, as an example, um, he or she knew their own customers and he or she knew uh, and had their own even um, just chat group within their own customer base and therefore could needed to could support their own customer base even without going through these major uh, major platforms global platforms that were already uh, serving serving the market so as it got more look as it got, as the pandemic got longer more and more providers came in because as, as i mentioned i think it became even more local more uh, trying to serve that same need and that's where I think being a local payment provider, we, we were able to identify that, understood that that was the transition it was taking and, and provide payments for, for, um, for even the smallest, the smallest seller who was trying to provide food delivery to, uh, to, to, to you and me in, in the marketplace. I think it sounds like, you know, over the past two years, there's been a lot of um, changes, a lot of innovation in Singapore. I think, you know, COVID has changed the way we pay, the way we consume services. You know, I completely agree with this, like, huge increase in, in food delivery services and, you know, small merchants had to very quickly, you know, think about how they could accept, you know, card payments and, and QR payments and everything. And also how Singapore is, you know, a, a very central hub in Southeast Asia and a lot of tourists coming in, a lot of, um, you know, business happening in Singapore. So being able to also cater to the way that, um, you know, non-Singapore people are, are paying in Singapore. So with all this kind of change and, and, and factors to consider, what, what do you, what, what does the future hold? Um, how do you see kind of the, the digital payment space in Singapore in, in five years' time. Um, Calvin, let's let's get your thoughts. I think the key thing uh, which Lawrence brought up, uh, which I expect to see, is this, this whole idea of user experience. I think that more and more, you know, the, the people who succeed in payments are those that not only solve the needs, but also take care of the user experience. And I think there have been several instances where you know um, 
where, where, where it, it's a great product, but the experience was really clunky. And then as a result, you know, nobody really uh, adopted it. And in fact, sometimes, you know, this, this came to the forefront, I think, during the pandemic, because, you know, with our mobile phones, for example, uh, it, it now has the capability to recognize your face, unlocks itself, and then you can make payments and stuff. But guess what? All of a sudden, we all had to wear masks. And all of this new tech just went out the window. Every time you got to figure out, okay, how do I make payments? So then, you know, what, what becomes the most simple and most in, integrated sort of a, a flow then makes the most sense. And then you find that adoption, um, you know, and, and uh, so I think that that part is, um, is prevalent. I think what would be interesting is in, in Southeast Asia over the next couple of years would be you know, to keep an eye on something like, for example, a wallet, how does wallets evolve? How does a super app kind of evolve? Because now there is a new push for that. I think in China, they are very used to the concept of a super app, one app that does everything. In in Asia now, there is a, obviously there's, there's one leading company that is, you know, very keen to try and introduce that concept of a super app. Uh, it would be interesting to see how that works uh, across multiple countries, um, you know, with, within the Southeast Asia region. Lawrence? Yeah, I mean, if I can build on that, you know, I, I, I remember not, not too long ago working with Kelvin trying to convince merchants to mobilize their websites, right? Um, because more and more consumers were buying through their mobile devices. And the, the more they mobilize the device, the better the, again, going back to the concept of user experience, and therefore, more transactions can take place through a mobilized website, and then move to payment in app, right? Um, and then from and and now we from Singapore as an example, more than sixty percent of every e-commerce transaction comes from a mobile device, and I think that number is just growing, growing even more. I think it's potentially potentially even more if you look at transaction count versus versus dollar amount. Um, so I think we have we have really. The mobile device is really driven driven e-commerce. Um, I think we talk about a little bit about cross-border, and I think cross-border as well because of the mobile device as we do physical travel, physical physical cross-border payments uh, as compared to as compared to uh, buying buying online would uh, would also change uh, in terms of physical payments. I I think the 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 one point I would add to what Kevin was mentioning is uh, capacity. And my, 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 my hypothesis is that with 5G um, or anything that can help us have faster, faster movement of data uh, and with better capacity, then the, to me, user experience again will change. And as a result, payments, digital payments will change. So I think with, with, with uh, increased capacity, um, 5G as a, as a proxy for that, we would see a lot of change in the domestic and cross-border um, digital payments, especially face-to-face -face payments today that are done offline will become even more digital as capacity increases. Great. Okay, that, that's super interesting. And I hope that in five years' time, we can all come together and, yeah, do, do the round two of this podcast. And then we'll be talking about maybe... A super app um, in Singapore. We'll be talking about um, the kind of 
the focus on customer experience and how customer experience has maybe kind of been a key differentiator amongst the different um, competitive ways to pay in Singapore. And I'm sure we'll be talking about kind of the new ways of um, tackling cross-border payments and the impact of 5G um, and, you know, their capacity and perhaps more data-driven digital payment methods. So I think, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It was really insightful to get a a really good sense of what's happening in in Singapore, understanding, um, you know, the trends definitely exploring more about the role of the QR code because I think that's been, you know, like the QR code really had a revival um, as a result of the pandemic and really exciting market to watch. And I think there's going to be some super, yeah, fun and interesting ways to pay coming out of Singapore. And um, yeah, so thank you again to Kelvin and Lawrence for sharing your insights and stories and getting us all excited about um, paying in Singapore. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. Thanks, Lawrence. Thank you.